Hello and welcome to Quilt Achievement's Markets Uncut podcast, your weekly insight into the topics and issues that we've been discussing here at Quilt Achievement. Remember, so you don't miss future episodes, be sure to hit the follow button on whichever streaming platform you're listening on or by following hashtag QC Weekly Comment on LinkedIn. I'm Tom Perks, Investment Manager based out of our Birmingham office. As always, I'm joined by our regular podcast commentator and Head of Fixed Interest Research, Richard Carter. Joining Richard this week will be Will Howlett, Equity Research Analyst specialising in the banking and finance sector. A warm welcome to you both. Um, In keeping with tradition, Richard, I'll start with yourself, if I may, for a recap of all things market and macro over the last week. Um, Overall, um, a good week for both equities and bonds, albeit against a backdrop of heightened geopolitical tension. Um, Things kick-started on Tuesday with some uh, fairly dovish central bank rhetoric from a couple of Fed officials. Uh, Could you talk us through what was said and how this was a positive for markets? Yeah, I guess the context, Tom, is that the, you know, data has been pretty strong recently, Uh, you know, inflation, uh, unemployment uh, or uh, non-farm payrolls, wages, all that sort of stuff. So there's been a bit of speculation about whether the Fed is really done raising rates and needs to needs to go and hike again. And that, that's pushed up um, bond yields recently, particularly long, the long end. And um, basically, the Fed officials have just come out and said, listen, um, this rise in bond yields is tightening financial conditions for us. It's pushing up uh, uh, mortgage rates. It's, uh, it's pushing up the um, uh, cost of borrowing. And they're saying if that continues and that makes a sort of case for uh, a rate hike a bit less, you know, because uh, you know the bond yield, the bond market's kind of doing its, uh, doing the job for the for the Fed. So um, yeah, markets were quite pleased with that. But as you say, uh, last week also there was obviously a lot of focus on what was going on uh, in Israel as well. But uh, yeah, obviously the Fed always an important story. Yeah, we'll come to um, to what's going on in the Middle East um, a little bit later. But um, it's quite interesting that. I had a sort of a meeting on Friday and this um, sort of phenomenon that we're seeing, which is that actually good news is being taken as bad news by the markets. I think, you know, you can sort of dial back a couple of weeks and we sort of had some decent um, non-farm payrolls, which basically means that the US economy was adding more jobs than than we expected. But markets didn't take that particularly well. So we're sort of in this sort of strange paradox where actually really good news is is being taken as bad news by the markets how, how come that is yeah that, that is an interesting one because you you hear uh uh you know not just uh, market market uh, commentators but central bankers sort of um agonizing over very tight labor markets and high and sort of strong wage growth and let's and let's be honest we take a step back we should be delighted that uh, uh you know we've got pretty much full employment and, and wages are doing very well but unfortunately uh, certainly for bond investors and uh, you know parts of equities as well, it just means that the Fed uh, is a long way from cutting interest rates, which is what uh, would cheer certain sectors sectors of the market up. And it means that we're in this higher for longer phase, where you know you could have rates above five percent for an extended period. So I'm afraid, like you say, good news for the economy is bad news uh, for investors, or certainly certainly some investors anyway. Certainly when it comes to bonds. Yeah, certainly interesting times and uh, sort of following on from those, you know, dovish comments that we mentioned on Tuesday, um, 48 hours seems to be a long time in markets at the moment. And come Thursday, 
um, those same Fed officials may have been uh, sort of ruining their words a little bit because we had some CPI data out of the US, which was probably the most hotly anticipated data point um, of last week. And I think it's fair to say it was a little bit disappointing, um, showing that inflation is you know, still remaining sticky. Um, it was a slight miss, but I think emphasis on the on the slight um, part of the slight miss. Um, was it was it enough to to make those comments earlier in the week look a little bit out of place, or do you think that it was just good enough that the uh, that the Fed may be able to pause um, its interest rate hike cycle? I, I don't think it puts the comments too much out of place. I mean, I think the Fed is is still in the sort of Data dependent, wait and see kind of mode. They <clears throat> they may they may raise rates again, but they can probably afford to wait and see at the next meeting. And, and let, you know, more, you, know you want to see more than just sort of see one one or two data points before they make their um, next decision. And the market's still basically pricing in no no rate increase at the next meeting. I mean, I, I think um, to be fair to the Fed officials, although they were saying you know. Maybe the bond market's doing our job for us. They're not. They're not declaring victory over inflation. You know what I mean. And they're not saying we think we've, we've done enough now. We can just sit back for six months and then probably start cutting rates. They're still very kind of you know saying how vigilant they are. Um, the battle with inflation isn't over. And I think um, you know we should see their comments in, in that context. That you know one one bad data point is probably not going to push them into a rate rise. But if you get two or three of them, it, it, it may well do. Okay, brilliant. Thanks for that. Um, as we sort of mentioned earlier, you know, events last week, um, somewhat perhaps overshadowed by uh, the tragic scenes that we're seeing unfold in um, Israel and the Gaza Strip. Um, market reaction thus far has has kind of been a bit muted, really. We've seen the the predictable flight to safety on Monday. You know, we saw Treasury yields fall and um, gold was up a little bit. And obviously, with any kind of Middle Eastern tension you often get a spike in the oil price which which we also saw as well but on the whole equity markets have have really taken it in their stride um do you think the markets are perhaps underestimating the potential that this has to to spill out into the wider region you know just looking at the news today you've seen that there's you know an increase in sort of clashes on the border with lebanon and hezbollah um you know, does this have the potential to spill out into a wider conflict involving, you know, more than Israel and um, and Hamas? It, 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 I mean, it, I guess it does. I mean, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Um, our market's underestimating the risk of a wider war. I mean, interesting, again, markets had a lot, a lot of geopolitical stuff thrown at them, haven't they, in the last... Um, a uh, couple of years or so with the Ukraine war and what's been going on with China's relationship with the US and, and now uh, this as well. And, and you tend to see these sort of bouts of concern, but then very much the focus gets back to corporate earnings or inflation or interest rates and all the rest of it. There clearly is a danger that um, this this you know becomes a bit of a wider conflict. Like you say, if, if um, you know, if it was a ground invasion or maybe when there's a ground invasion of Gaza, how that how that goes, how prolonged it is, and whether Hezbollah in uh, in Lebanon get involved with the sort of Iran's backing. So there's, there's clearly a recipe for this thing to sort of get worse. But I think, um, and you're right, market reaction. There was one, but it was fairly muted. You know, bond yields, government bond yields were down, flight to safety. You know, oil prices up a bit, but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a massive 
reaction at all. I, I just think the hope is that um, with the Americans so, you know, sort of closely involved and, and a lot of diplomacy going on in the backgrounds, that the um, that the, the the conflict won't spread and that it won't be a situation where you know Iran Iran and Israel are, you know are, start fighting each other directly because clearly if that were to happen. Um, all bets are off as far as the oil price potentially is concerned, and you know that would be a um, a pretty devastating uh, development. So I guess the hope is that um, you know the Americans can constrain, um, restrain rather the the Israelis from from uh, you know m- perhaps making this a uh, you know worse situation than it already is. So um, that's what I guess markets are just sort of trying to be as optimistic as possible. Yeah, and, um, you know, sort of echo those sentiments that uh, hopefully there's a diplomatic resolution to everything. And I guess, unfortunately, we have to sort of also remind ourselves that Middle Eastern tension is nothing new for markets over the decades. This, you know, there has been flashpoints before in the past, but let's uh, let's hope that this thing gets resolved um, sooner rather than later. Um, thanks for that, Richard. That was brilliant. Um, I'm going to move over to Will now, who's been waiting patiently on the sidelines. And um, any regular listeners to the to the podcast will recall that Will joined us a couple of weeks ago to talk about um, Metro Bank and everything that was going on there. Um, this week, we're going to move slightly up the market cap scale and talk about JP Morgan in the US, who reported on Friday. Um, so, Will, can you uh, walk us through the JP Morgan results and uh, sort of how those went, how they were taken by the market, and is there anything we can take away from them uh, for the rest of the banking sector? Yeah, we had um, three of the biggest US banks reporting on Friday, JP Morgan, City, Wells Fargo, and in the case of JPM, a favoured name for me, really. Earnings per share were about 10% ahead of consensus and the bank delivered a return on tangible equity. So that's the key measure of profitability that the market looks at of 22%. And that's a really strong level and well above peers in Europe and and in the US. Uh, Again, a function of its diversification and market leadership across the business. Worth highlighting, the CEO, Jamie Dimon, does remain quite cautious. So in his statement, he was highlighting the fact that the bank was over-earning on net interest income and below normal credit costs. And also, warning, this may be the most dangerous time the world has seen in decades. I mean, really referencing those attacks we've talked about in Israel and and war in Ukraine, for example. But yeah, looking into the detail um, in terms of the results, uh, banks are still seeing high growth in in net interest income on the the back of higher interest rates. So up 30% for JP Morgan uh, year on year, including First Republic, um, net interest margins still expanding as well. So that has slowed, no doubt, but um, we're still seeing a little bit of expansion Q and Q. And I think that's the key debate for JP Morgan and other banks. How much are they having to pay to retain deposits when you've got these much better rates available in money market funds, etc.? And it's fair to say that the largest US banks are doing better on that uh, than feared. Um, so JP Morgan actually raised their guidance on net interest income for the full year, for example. I would expect competition to build, but um, for now, uh, they are really um, benefiting from from higher rates. I think the other theme references the lower than anticipated credit losses, and clearly that makes sense with unemployment remaining low. Uh, So the non-performing loan ratio was um, essentially flat Q1Q and has been bouncing around the sort of 0.6% of assets level. I think 
Last point worth mentioning is that US banks are going through another set of regulation, uh, regulations. So this is finalization of Basel III rules, won't get too technical, but there was a couple of slides in their release just highlighting the additional capital that this will entail. It is going through consultation at the moment in the US, so it's not clear exactly uh, at this stage where this will land, but I would highlight with JP Morgan that they end very high returns on equity, so they can build capital very quickly to adapt. Um, so I think those were a few of the key themes going on for JP Morgan. Uh, I expect to see some of the, the similar, similar themes again with um, Bank of America reporting tomorrow, for example. Okay, brilliant, excellent, thanks, Will. Um, sort of one question um, that I have, given that interest rates have, have gone up, you know, exponentially in, in, in most of the developed world over the course of the last 18 months, um, when you look at the share price performance of not all banks, but, but, but some banks, I don't think it's reflected that, um, that feeling that banks would be sort of key beneficiaries of, uh, of higher interest rates, perhaps like JP Morgan um, aside, but particularly some of the UK banks, you don't necessarily get the feeling that, that that's been uh, reflected in the share price. Is, is it a case of, you know, the sort of the old saying, you don't want to be holding banks going into a recession that's maybe kept investors uh, away from these kind of stocks? Yeah, I think there's a, a bit of that. As ever with banks, it's quite complicated and banks are seen as leverage plays on economies. So you have to consider the impacts of higher interest rates, not only on you know better net interest income, but also on the potential for higher loan losses as economies move into recession with central banks, you know, looking to engineer a slowdown and hopefully not tipping economies into recession, but you know that that might be the consequence, and you have to think about the potential downside as well. So yeah, I think you make a good point with regard to the UK banks because you've probably seen that uh, you know that theme uh, very much so with the UK banks. So you've got the the likes of the UK domestic banks, Barclays, Lloyd's, and NatWest really underperforming the Asian banks, HSBC and Standard Chartered this year. So I think. The market has been you know really concerned about the uk economy particularly when mortgage rates were sort of six seven percent on on new loans and then about the impact that might have on the housing market and the economy in the uk you know perhaps those risks have receded a little bit but um on the flip side the asian economies have had a bit of a tailwind from china hong kong reopening after COVID, even if it, that has been a little bit sluggish relative to some expectations so i think there's been that theme um uh, present you know this year for example and there's other factors at play as well so the uk domestic banks have been under a lot of pressure to pass on rate hikes to depositors so i'm sure we've all seen the headlines and the fc fca has been quite involved as well to ensure that banks are being more competitive in terms of deposit rates so if you look at um uh, banks and how much of the rate hikes have been passed on the uk they've actually been um, more generous relative to to other um, geographies, so you know that's good for depositors, not so good for bank shareholders. So that's why you saw some of the UK domestic banks guiding down on their net interest margins at the first quarter and second quarter results, for example, and and the shares have followed some of those downgrades as well and been a bit sluggish. Um, yeah, I think overall. We, the sector is pretty discounted and, and they're returning a lot of capital um, with profitability remaining pretty high um, on higher interest rates and yeah, loan losses remaining controlled for now as well. 
Okay, great. And um, just sort of, it seems a, a long time ago now, but obviously we had a bit of a, a mini banking crisis earlier in the year. Um, has that kind of washed through the system or do you think there's still some sentiment that's you know proving to be a bit of a headwind to, to global banking stocks? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think it's it's more localized to some of the smaller regional banks in the US which don't have the diversification of their deposit franchises. So they might be very reliant and very concentrated on one geography or one area, uh, case in point, you know, Silicon Valley. Um, being very exposed to the tech sector and its deposits being very concentrated there. And obviously they were pulled, you know, in short order and no bank can really survive a, a deposit run. I think the other area of concern is around commercial real estate in the US. And again, it's sort of the regional banks, which are much more exposed here relative to the big diversified mega cap, you know, the likes of JP Morgan and Bank of America, um, which all always seem to have parts of their business doing very well um so uh, yeah i think for the for the biggest banks uh, you know it's it's not something that is overly concerning for me but i think there are certainly um areas of concern in, in the smaller banks in in the us for example okay brilliant well thanks for that and uh, and that brings us to uh, to a close for those fascinating thoughts so thank you both richard and will for for joining me today uh, did you enjoy our discussion on the podcast today? We love to hear from our listeners, so please review the show wherever you're listening and share it on your socials and tag us at quiltachieviat.com. To make sure you don't miss a future episode, tap the subscribe button. We'll be back next week, and in the meantime, head over to our website, www.quiltachieviat.com, where you can read the accompanying market overview as well as subscribe to our weekly comment newsletter. You can also stay up to date with our thoughts on market news, industry insights, and our upcoming events and webinars on our website or on our social media pages. Finally, if you have any questions you'd like to ask one of our experts for our next podcast, then simply ask them via the weekly comments page on our website. We love to hear your questions. And that's it for today. So thank you again to Richard and Will for your time and to all of you for listening. See you again next time.